This Prop Talk recording is a news and opinion product that is the property of Original Prop Blog LLC, all rights reserved. Original Prop Blog LLC is not responsible for any statements or opinions expressed by the guests of this program. Live on tape from the OPB studios in Northern California, it's Prop Talk. Brought to you by the Original Prop Blog, we're making analog connections across the world. Each podcast features one-on-one chats with special guests to discuss the hobby of collecting original movie props and costumes. The Original Prop Blog is the original source of news, information, and opinion about authentic popular culture artifacts and memorabilia from film and television. Now, let's join our host, Jason DeBorg. Probably way too advanced for my people to understand. Yeah, <laughs> I just kept turning knobs and dials until it seemed to work. But uh... excellent. Okay, so do you have a glass of wine? <laughs> I have. I've got a glass of red wine. There's not much left of it now. All right, where's mine? <laughs> <laughs> so, welcome to Prop Talk. Today, my guest is Simon Lee from the UK who is a big diehard movie prop collector, and he has a website called diehardprops.com. So welcome, Simon. Thank you. Welcome to you, Jason. (laughs) I think I'm on a run of interviews with people with British accents. (laughs) (laughs) Collect them all. Simon and I have known each other for, geez, since what, like 2003? 2003? Yeah, 2002, 2003. Okay. Were you on the first incarnation of the movie prop form, or did you come on after it switched? I think it switched in 2004, March 2004. I was on it before then, so I think I joined the start of 2003, perhaps. Okay. So I think we, yeah. Yeah, I think we both got on about the same time then. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I kind of remember you as this guy who was like, I'm going to collect diehard props. <laughs> and, uh <laughs> And Die Hard's like probably one of my top three favorite movies of all time. So I was, yeah, so I was yeah. like, wow, you know, I, I was thinking to myself, I've never even, um, I don't think I'd ever come across any <laughs> significant Die Hard props. I remember kind of thinking to myself, well, good luck. <laughs> yeah, I used to be a bit of an obsessive, I like to say the least. Not that I've changed very much, but <laughs> I'm not as bad as I used to be, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. So when you started, did you, did you buy any other props before you got into Die Hard props? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I did what most prop collectors do. I just kind of have a look on a website, see something from a film that I might have seen four years ago and buy it just because it's there and I can have it. So I think the first item I ever bought was a ammo clip from Black Hawk Down. Okay. Um, and then I just picked up a few things from a few films that I'd seen. Uh, Spy Game, uh, that Brad Pitt film. Okay. Um, uh, Rush Hour, that was a favorite of mine back in the day so I bought a few casino chips and banknotes from Rush Hour and displayed them in my bedroom and just kind of went on from there really little things nothing too major really at that point yeah and what what was your first prop from Die Hard um I think it, it was the uh, Kevin Chamberlain jacket from Die Hard with a vengeance okay you know the the bomb squad guy yeah um with his NYPD logo bomb squad on the back 
Didn't you get uh, that from the actor who actually played that? I Pokemon? did, yeah. That was the. Uh, it was one of the many guys that I've badgered for a long time. It was <laughs> that's a really cool, really nice guy. And I just got in touch with him and said, "You know, have you got anything from me time on the film?" And he says, "I'll have to look in my storage and see what I can find." <laughs> Luckily, he came back and he said, oh, I've got my jacket that I wore. And uh, and I, I knew straight away what it was when he said it. So I instantly just got a picture of him in my mind wearing this jacket, the bit where he's uh, disposing the bomb in the, at the end in the school when he gets sprayed with all the corn syrup. So I just got really excited and said, oh, man, how much do you want for it? And kind of went from there, really. That was my first diehard purchase. Yeah. So you're in your... Late 20s, early 30s? Early 30s, I'm 26. 26? You're not even that old, okay. <laughs> <laughs> when you first saw Die Hard, then it was on DVD? Um, I think I watched it on Sky with my dad. That's okay. the first time I saw it. Yeah. A lot younger than I should have been, no doubt. I think it was well, it's an 18, so <laughs> I must have seen it when I was... 11 or 12. <laughs> okay. <laughs> One of those late night films that you stay up and watch when you're probably not supposed to. Yeah. So it obviously had a big impression on you. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's just one of those things, I mean, when I used to sit up on a night with my dad and would stick the movie channels on and see what was on and it'd be a bit of a ritual. We'd watch whatever was on at the time. So that's the first time I watched like Leaf or Weapon and a lot of uh, Steven Seagal films, which I'm very fond of and I know you don't like very much <laughs> <laughs> well I did try to watch one and it was just it, it I think you kind of watched the wrong era <laughs> you need to start at the beginning and work on yeah I, I guess I needed some vintage Steven Seagal instead of um, what, which one was it that I watched it was something with the word law in it which I don't know if that's helpful to you but above the law above the law that's some of the best ones how could you not like that one? Oh my gosh <laughs> That was just horrible, even in, <laughs> even in fast-forward motion. Oh, dear. <laughs> so, it seems like you kind of like American action movies. Yeah, very much so. It's, uh, it's where my interests lie more than anything. Yeah. Anything 80s forward, 80s action is, is my thing. Yeah. Even the cheesy stuff, like Tango and Cash and... <laughs> All, all the classics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I remember I saw Die Hard, because it came out in what, 88? 88, yeah. Yeah, so I saw that in the theaters, and I just, I love that movie. That was just, because, I mean, people look back on it. People that see it now don't realize how kind of innovative it was. Just a very different film on some yeah, different levels. Yeah. I mean, the writing was incredible. The cinematography was really great. You know, the exactly, was a great, great crew. Really great crew behind it. Yeah, and the cast was just, you know, amazing. Absolutely. Because um, I was actually a big Bruce Willis fan. I used to watch Moonlighting when that was oh, really? originally airing. So for me, it was like, oh, cool, it's a Bruce Willis movie. <laughs> and, uh, you know, years later, then I read about um, how it was originally a sequel to a Frank Sinatra movie. And yeah, just thinking, nothing lasts forever. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the, the movie itself has a really interesting history and backstory. Um, yeah. just how it evolved, you know? Yeah, it's kind of taken off now. It's, I mean, you look back at a lot of the polls and it tends to get one of the best action films of all time just because of the, the sub-genre that it created, really. There's been a lot of imitations since that haven't quite yeah. reached a level of success that that did, but 
it is a it is a classic. I can still watch it again today. And still feels like the first time I've ever seen it. I must have seen it like a hundred times now. <laughs> yeah. So what what is your take on all the kind of die hard on a bus, die hard on a boat, <laughs> all, the, all the sort of not real sequels, but kind of copycat movies? Yeah, I mean, I mean some of them are good. I mean, Speed, for example, I still love films like that, but a lot of them, you can tell that they're cheap imitations of the real thing, unfortunately, but yeah. it's never a bad thing when they're copying Die Hard. So, but Speed was directed by the cinematographer from the first It was, era. yeah, Jan de Bond. Okay. Yeah. So that that one is actually, I mean, it's not Die Hard, but it, it's not, it's not a bad movie. <laughs> Yeah, didn't didn't Roger Ebert give Die Hard like two stars? I think. Yeah, I believe he did. Yeah. <laughs> Going back, like when you're growing up and everything, were you into collecting, or did that just really come along with movie props? Yeah, I've never really been a collector to be honest. I, I did a bit of a short stint with collecting stamps back in the day. Yeah. Um, which my again, my dad kind of carried that on, and he's become quite a big stamp collector. But, that was just more than a more of a passing thing for me. I never really got into it that much, but as soon as I got into props, I would just consume my life pretty much. <laughs> it's taken off since then, and so I've never fallen out of favor with really. Yeah. Now a lot of collectors I know they kind of went through this transition where maybe they collected I don't know movie memorabilia, and then they started collecting you know prop replicas, and then they kind of yeah. So you never really went through that replica phase or anything. You just no, went not at all. Not thing. at all. No. I mean, a lot of people collected uh, like toys, Star Wars toys, and that kind of thing. It was never really my thing. Yeah, I think the only thing I, I was interested in before movie props was wrestling, American wrestling. Got <laughs> <laughs> a thing about American things, obviously. But then you watched Star Wars for the first time what a year or two ago, and it, <laughs> it did nothing for you, right? You see, if I say this on the air now, I'm going to get slated by so many people, <laughs> especially with Celebration coming up as well. Yeah. Well, Tim Laws doesn't like Star Wars either. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember hearing that on, uh, on his podcast. But yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just not my thing. Yeah. I think I fell asleep, actually, halfway through the first film. But <laughs> I won't go into that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's kind of like me. I never really got into so Lord of the Rings. I mean, I see it like as this real artful well-made yeah. movie but for me this the film itself never really grabbed me i found it kind of slow yeah i know what you mean but we all have our uh we want to different things out yeah how did you first learn that you can even collect movie props like um it was back in 2002 a good friend of mine invited me down to a, a show we have in the uk called memorabilia at the nec in birmingham mm-hmm. yeah it's like an annual event kind of like comic con but maybe 100th scale. <laughs> um, and so I went down there and we were just looking around the, the booths and I bought a, a signed Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, photograph from Terminator 2 that probably wasn't even signed by him, but I probably thought it was at the time. <laughs> and then just walking around, I came across two um, stalls pretty close to each other. One of them was a, a replica knife maker and they had uh, like a small shiv uh, replica from Under Siege against Steven Seagal and I like I was looking at that for quite a while contemplating buying it and then glanced over to my left and saw the Pop Star of London booth and uh, that was it I was fascinated looking at all these uh, incredible items that they had and came home that night 
logged onto the website and made my first purchase and it's kind of taken off since there really so was it Stephen lane at the prop store booth yeah i vaguely remember seeing Stephen. i don't think i talked to him um probably didn't know him at the time so it was just a matter of wandering around i saw a couple of guys sat on chairs and that was really it i was just like more fascinated at the frames and what was on the walls and i didn't meet Stephen until a while after yeah do you remember what kind of stuff they had on display oh crikey <laughs> do you know what i don't think they did i think they just had that much stuff like glaring in in my face i was just like taken aback so not until i got back home and looked to i remember picking up a one of the small brochures that they used to do mm-hmm. um looking at that and then went on the website and saw however many thousands of items that they had <laughs> yeah so that's that's actually kind of interesting because it it does show that it's one of the ways to kind of spread awareness about the hobby is just you know dealers being at shows Oh yeah, absolutely. Just like last weekend at Comic Con, you know, so many. That's what's kind of interesting to me is so many people are into pop culture and collecting things, and have for their whole lives. Yet they'll come across, you know, one of these dealers' booths at Comic Con and kind of be like, "Huh, what's this stuff? (laughs) How many of these are you going to make?" A lot of people are still of the opinion that these must be replicas, or you can't actually. Yeah. All this stuff, you can't own this stuff. And yeah. It's just one of those things you've got to kind of talk them around and explain that it is possible to right. <laughs> get all of this stuff these days. But. Yeah. Well, it's funny too because then there's there's replica dealers. And I saw someone approach Stephen at, at Comic Con. Um, I won't name the company, but it's a pretty well known internet dealer of licensed movie collectibles. And, all um, right. And he's kind of looking at all this stuff, you know, in his mind, he sees dollar signs thinking, you know, <laughs> can we make a hundred of these, a thousand of these? Yeah. Can we do a little bit of this yeah. and a little bit of that? Yeah. And Steven's just kind of like, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's not what we do. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So did you ever go to any of the auctions in the UK? Like, you know, the Christie's auctions, the Bonham auctions? Yeah. Recently I started, I think. The first one I went to was about four years ago. I started going down for the annual Christie's meet that we have in London. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always around Christmas time, so it depends if I'm working or not. But I've tried. I think I've been down three or four times now. And I went down for the uh, the King Kong armature sale. Oh, yeah. That kind of uh, fizzled away. didn't really yeah, you know, I, I saw reach pic- the expectations it was meant to do. Yeah, I saw a picture of the auction room, and it seemed like, you guys were almost the only people there. It was like pretty <laughs> yeah. sparsely attended. It was like a ghost town. We were all hyping <laughs> it up for ages before and saying this is going to be amazing. And I got there and there was a uh, girl dressed as Marilyn Monroe and that was about the highlight of the day, really. Yeah. Well, it seems like, I don't know, it seems like most live auctions. I mean, I've only been to, geez, I think the only one I've ever been to is the Stembridge one. Oh, right, yeah. Which was packed, but that was different. That was like more of a gun show auction yeah it's a lot different but it seems like you know the our key auction houses it seems like there's not usually a big group of people in attendance i guess most people just bid online or over the phone yeah i mean it's it's, it's such a global thing as well with collectors all over the world so yeah not everybody can get over there i mean i've been in a couple of auctions like sat at home watching it online or whatever yeah but i think the, the uk auctions recently haven't been 
to standard compared to what they used to be in past times, I've been told. So yeah. it's a bit of a shame, really. Yeah, it seems like it comes down to property like, you know, the Christie Star Trek auction is huge because there's Star Trek fans that exactly, aren't yeah. movie prop collectors, but they want to come see the stuff and maybe bid on something. So if it's a specific show or franchise or movie, that seems yeah, to draw absolutely. a lot of people, whereas kind of the general interest movie prop auctions. I mean, you tend to get 10 to 20 items that are interesting and the rest are like posters. If you're not into posters like I'm not, then yeah, I'm very interesting. Like yeah. the Bond auction that the uh, that Chris has held with Propstar. Yeah. Something like that where they're getting things that haven't been seen before all come into market at once. It, it's interesting. We need a few more auctions like that, really, but unfortunately. Yeah. That's the one. kind of things really come in every now and then. Yeah, that's the one auction I would have loved to have gone to is that the Bond yeah, me too. auction. Just I didn't end up going stuff. in the end, but I was quite disappointed. Yeah. Whereas, like you say, other auctions, it could be just a lot of just sitting there slogging through some boring material. You sit there for four hours and then you finally get to the five or six items that are supposed to do well and, and then you sit same again. Yeah. And one thing I you know, want to talk to you about a little bit more in, in depth is your big kind of diehard find. But did that, did your website come before that? No, the website came just after that. It was okay. at that point where I was, I thought I did enough stuff in my collection to yeah. justify putting something on the internet. Okay, so going back to kind of the start of our, our interview here, <laughs> when I kind of thought, oh, you know, this this guy's looking for diehard props, there's hardly anything out there. Well, then I remember one day you got in touch with me and you showed me some pictures that kind of just knocked me out of my chair. I was like, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you got in touch with like a senior crew member who worked on the first Die Hard movie. That's right, yeah. It was back in 2004 when I first made contact with him. Yeah. Um, I just kind of set my sights on, on the crew. Um, went onto IMDB and see what email addresses I could find and whatnot. And came across a, a crew member that I figured would probably have something. Or might have access to something and just shut in an email. And then... It didn't take long to get back to me, really, a couple of weeks. Pretty much sent an email back saying, yeah, I've got this, this, and this, and it's in my collection, and I don't want to get rid of it, and uh, maybe one day keep in touch. And I was just, like, blown away. Mm-hmm. Kind of mentioned all these items that I'd made a list of in my mind that I'd want to own someday, and here was this guy saying, <laughs> I've got them. And I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> Eventually, you worked out a deal with him. Yeah, two two years later. Oh, it's two okay. years later. Two years later. Yeah, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, I'd I'd pretty much uh, badgered him for <laughs> two years. Every three months, just dropping him an email saying, you know, how we're getting on, <laughs> ready to get rid of this stuff yet. And out of the blue, 2006, I just got an email saying, you know what, it's time, <laughs> and that was that. <laughs> wow. Okay, so you get this box that's filled with like pretty much all the key stuff from the first movie. Yeah. So name off all those things because it's just crazy. If oh, you're if goodness. you're a diehard geek like I am, I was just <laughs> I just couldn't believe my eyes. Oh, well, the, the crate was absolutely huge. Um, I was in London at the time with my wife. We had a, a week away, so I wasn't actually there when the, the package arrived at home. 
Well, I got back to this huge, humongous crate, <laughs> opened it up, finally got to the bottom of it and saw the frame. And it was uh, basically like a shadow box presentation of pretty much every key item from the film, 35 to 40 pieces in total. Um, the main ones were John McQueen's wallet, um, the block of C4 that he ties to the chair with the computer screen and blows half of Nakatomi's lobby out. <laughs> um, the stunt MP5 machine gun is stunt Beretta with the uh, season's greetings tape um, displayed with it, the Zippo lighter um, and Holly's um, driver's license, which wasn't used in the film. Um, her Rolex watch that she was gifted. Um, the John McLean's credentials, obviously, uh, which again weren't seen in the film, but as you know, were created for. Um, and then things like the smaller items like detonators, the orange detonators that John McLean uh, stole from hands. Mm-hmm. Um, prop bonds from the end of the film. It was just a relentless amount of uh, treasures, really. <laughs> <laughs> The key piece is, I think, the wallet because it's it's just so yeah. personal, and there's so many scenes in the movie where he kind of opens it up and looks at the picture of his family, and yeah, we're reflecting and when he's having hard times, and yeah, yeah, I think it's one of the uh, the more detailed as well. It's quite amazing how much time and effort they put into it. Like the actual wallet itself, it's got um, like a flip booklet inside with the different photographs, like. There must be four or five photographs that aren't even seen in the film that are in there, like pictures of John Jr. and Lucy, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of pictures of uh, Bonnie Bedelia as Holly that weren't ever seen in the film, and then the credit cards, and there's like three, three credit cards in total, um, and they've all got John McLean written on them as uh, proper credit cards. And the, uh, the from dates are from 1987 to 1989, and the film was made in 88, you know, so. <laughs> Intricate detail, really, when they weren't ever going to be seen on screen. And it is a New York driving license that a lot of people have never seen. That was kind of at the back of the, the main family pictures that are seen. So, so it's definitely my uh, my favorite piece. Yeah. So what was it like to kind of have set this goal to find? Because y- you probably would have been thrilled to find any one of a lot of the things oh, in that yeah, box. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then you know, after all these years, you get just sort of this mother load of <laughs> <laughs> treasure, you know, from Die Hard. So what what was that like for you? Oh, it's just insane. You don't really know what to do with yourself. You've, you've been searching all this time for for these items. You've been looking at them. And as any, many prop collectors do, they go through the film frame by frame, endless amount of times, and looking at all these items and then finally just have them all in front of you. Just to be a... I mean, at one point, when I took them all out of the frame, I just kind of sat on my living room floor and just spread everything around me. And <laughs> I was just like in another world. Um, but it's like any other prop collector as well. Once you've obtained your holy grail, there's always another holy grail that you start thinking about and it kind of spirals out of control. Then. Yeah. But yeah, that was uh, one of my proudest moments, I have to say. Yeah, well, and it's just so nice to know that all that stuff survived, too. Exactly, that's, that's one of the main things. I mean, you don't realize all this stuff's still there. You, you think it's been trashed or right. gone back to the prop house. or But yeah, just to know that it exists and it's still intact and it still looks like it did in the film. And 
Yeah, it's all good. Yeah. Now, I know you worked on um, trying to screen match some of the pieces, like the C4. Um, yeah. So you had some success with that, right? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty confident. I I need to uh, still t- sit down and take um, some proper pictures of it at the same angle that it's seen in the film to get a proper um, comparison shot. But uh, things such as the uh, the detonators that are stuck inside the C4, the the loops in the wires are all all seem to match up, and the placement of the detonators and the the bits of writing that have ripped off, they all were. Uh, got some uh, HD caps and they all look pretty spot on so I'm quite confident that's a screen match mm-hmm. after you found all this stuff actually let me go back a little bit one discussion we've had lately on the original prop community forum is um, a collector asking for advice on how to find stuff because for that's instance right, he's, yeah. in, he's into a particular actor and in, in his films and uh, I know when I responded, I used you as an example. So what advice would you give to collectors, you know, that are kind of maybe into a particular film franchise, TV show, whatever, they're kind of frustrated, like where do you even start to try to um, find this stuff? Yeah, I think the main thing really is just to think outside the box, like somebody else mentioned, you just got to um, think of people you can contact, try to look on the... Uh, the internet is just such a valuable resource for finding contact details for people, crew directories, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then just have patience. I mean, you're not going to be able to email somebody and say, have you got all these hero props from my favourite film and will you sell them and then send them send an email straight back saying, absolutely, they're in the mail. <laughs> got to kind of take time and build relationships with these people. In the end, you might not, you might not get anything, but... Um, you will get lucky sometimes, and you've got to take the bag with the with the good. I've I've emailed a few people, and have pretty much told me to go away, <laughs> and go off and multiply, as we say over here. But um, I've just got to accept it that they don't want to be bothered. They they do a job, they work on the film. Once the the film's finished, that's it. But um, yeah, you've got to be patient, really. Just work at it, and then not get too upset when you don't get what you want there's always something that's going to come back to you I mean I'm sure you you, you know yourself you've uh, regretted not bidding on things and then they've always come full circle a couple of years later and they've been offered back to you so right. just to know those things are out there is always a, a positive thing really you just got to accept it and move on yeah so in your case I know we're in communication with this guy for years and I know you have a real earnestness about you because you love the film. How much do you think that helped you versus someone who might have been contacting him who was probably looking to get stuff to then you know, resell in an auction house or something like that? Yeah, I think it helped a lot because I had quite a lot of knowledge about the film and I wasn't just asking him about these certain props that he had all the time. I was talking about uh, his time working on the film, if he had any stories. Um it's always interesting hearing things from crew members about what happened with the actors on, on set and how many of each prop they created and the, the process that goes into creating these pieces. So I think because I kind of focused on that as well, you could see that I was quite a major fan of the film and <laughs> I knew that they were going to be in good hands and looked after, which is the main thing. So. Yeah. So, so what is there any kind of interesting trivia sort of things you learned about 
the movie talking to him about different oh, props. Right, yeah. um, he had said a couple of things, but I think the main things that he'd said were all the things that were in the public domain from like IMDb trivia sites and that kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> Didn't really get to learn much new, really. Yeah. After you got all the stuff, that's when you started your website, diehardprops.com. And yeah. uh, what are some of the interesting things that happened as a result of that? Um, it's it's always good starting up your own website um, relating to a certain film and franchise such as uh, like Niall did with his, his Star Wars memorabilia and uh, Mario did with his Friday the 13th things. I'm sure they will attest that mm-hmm. you always get contacts from some people saying oh I've got this and are you interested and it's always good to network with other collectors and people that were involved in the film uh, just from something as simple as starting up a website so I've had a few interesting emails from people that have, that have said oh I've got this uh, are you interested or and if I'm not interested it's good to good to see them and see these items and know that they exist so. we met and I know before, right before we started this we were trying to remember exactly when it was I think <laughs> was that like three years ago yeah three years yeah. It was at the Safari Inn from True Romance in Los Angeles, Burbank. So was that like totally coincidental that we were both in L.A.? Because we didn't really plan it, right? No, I think I think you were coming into L.A. to pick something up at the uh, those V-props, and I was on holiday with my wife and her family, and we just kind of trying to cope after talking for so long. It's always good to finally meet and put a yeah. face to a name. Yeah, because I remember I'd come into contact with one of the guys who made the props for the TV show V yeah. and had worked out a deal to buy uh, one of the prop rifles. And I basically was driving from Northern California down, talked with him, then ran and caught up with you. We had dinner and then I tried to drive all the way back and didn't quite make it all the way back. <laughs> You pretty much picked those props up and then came straight yeah, to me. Was, I, remember, a, I remember you getting them out in the car park <laughs> and you turned with this crazy sci-fi rifle. Yeah, so it was kind of... I'm trying to think what people were thinking. It was a full day, but uh, but you were staying at, the, what is it, the Safari? Safari Inn. Safari Inn, and that's where they um, shot some of the scenes for True Romance, which True Romance, is right. another movie that both of us love. And did you go to any other movie prop sites? Did you go to the Fox building or you know the Die Hard building? Oh, I'd love to. Um, I tried to talk my wife into <laughs> going there, but she wasn't having none of it. <laughs> Although I didn't spend on a like a 50-mile trek to go see a costume from Die Hard with a Vengeance over at Star Wars, so I don't <laughs> think that helps very much. <laughs> you uh, overextended your um, geek escapades. I did see the, uh, is it the EMSA building from Lethal Weapons and the big white building. Oh, the one on stilts? Is that the one? Is it on stil- no, no, oh, no, the, that's uh, the house. It's the one where he jumps off with the suicide. Oh, 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 oh yeah. Yeah, I did go see that one. That was pretty cool. It was one of my favorite films. So. so was that was that your only trip to the States? No, I've been back since. Um, I've been like a couple of times, actually. I went before then. Um, first time I ever went was in 2004. Um, that's when I went to I went to New York, Miami, Los Angeles for the first time. Did a few, um, I think a few days in each city. Uh, I went to a few movie, movie locations with my friend at the uh, Federal Reserve Bank from Die with a Vengeance. Mm. Again, just fulfilling my geekdom. <laughs> and then uh, I've been back last year for a stag do in Chicago. I spent a week in Chicago for my stag do. 
So that was that was good. Going back to Die Hard, you have some props and have had some props from some of the other sequels too, correct? That's correct, yeah. But the first is your favorite. Absolutely. It's got to be empty. <laughs> yeah. So I think the third one's in a in a very close second. It's always been a favorite of mine, but the first one, the original, will always top yeah. that, definitely. The last one, 4.0, you kind of liked when you first saw it, and then it... it yeah. Opinion changed with, a little. Yeah, the thing with that was I kind of followed it from the first day of shooting. I was in contact with a crew member, and they, they pretty much said, well, we're starting on Wednesday morning. So I'd, from that point forward, I'd just obsessed about this new Die Hard film that came <laughs> out. And then when it came out, I went down to London to see, see Adam, who was also on the forum. I went down to Trafalgar Square, not Trafalgar Square, Piccadilly, where they do the, the uh, premieres. I can't remember what it's called. But it's this huge screen, basically, and, and saw it for the fourth time or whatever. But then as time's passed and I've rewatched it, I've kind of realised how much they've kind of uh, desecrated, <laughs> to, to say the least. But it, it's all right. It's, it's good popcorn action cinema, but it's, it'd have been better if they'd have given it a different title than a die-hard film because a lot of the McLeanisms weren't there, unfortunately. Yeah. Is, it, is the rating part of the problem for you? Because <laughs> it's oh, PG-13, right? Yeah. I mean, the first three films is there's been a foul-mouthed cop who's on the edge, not happy where he is, and in this one he's like polite, <laughs> and he suddenly had this skill that he could fly helicopters, even though in the first <laughs> two films he was scared to death of flying. I mean, what's all that about? So I don't know. Die Hard Five's on the cards. I don't know if you know. No. Yeah. The, the, there was an interview with Bruce at Comic Con this past weekend and he's kind of said it should be going ahead next year and it's going to go worldwide this time instead of just around America. So oh, really? We'll see how that one goes. Hmm. See, I didn't have as much of a problem with the fourth one. I mean, there's some kind of cheesy Michael Bay, like, you know, yeah, set like the jet scene is hanging yeah, off there. Which you're kind of like, okay, whatever. But, uh, <laughs> but, the one my least favorite is is the second one because you see just, I, I wrote the second one much more than the fourth for some reason. Yeah, for me the second one it was very like it was the formula kind of late eighties remake of yeah. a successful movie where they kind of had to have <laughs> the same little visual cues and and it's got the same kind of dialogue villain and yeah yeah and it just but it anyway to me the, the second one I just I don't know. <laughs> it could not exist and I wouldn't have a problem with it. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about the fourth one, though, bizarrely. Yeah. Well, really, I mean, the, none of them even come close to comparing to the first one. I mean, the first no, one is like no, classic. I've seen that movie so many times because it's, it's one of those very rewatchable movies. It is, yeah. And I think the reason that 3 was so successful was because John McTiernan and came back and, and directed it. Yeah, yeah. I would only hope that with the fifth one that carry on the sequence and bring him back to end the franchise, but I'm not too confident that will happen, unfortunately. So, he went to jail, right? Or prison? Yeah, yeah, some kind of, I don't know, phone-tapping, um, mafia connection 
kind of scandal or something. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It was all pretty bizarre anyway. Yeah, very strange. So, But he's is he working again now? I haven't seen anything of him, to be honest. I haven't yeah. heard of him being around, so I presume he's, he's out of jail and, and back on course, but I'm not sure. Well, if they do a fifth one, it'd be great if he could come back. and. It would. I think I'd, have, I'd give it a lot more time if they did. But yeah. One can only hope. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know how much hope you can put into it. Because <laughs> a sequel is always going to be a sequel, you know? It's yeah, just, absolutely. With rare exception. But, uh, it's like in this all, there's got to be a time where we just got to say, you know what, this uh, franchise is running its course, let's leave it there. Yeah. Yeah. I know you, were, you hated that film, didn't yeah, you? That's one of my least favorite movies of all time. <laughs> but there is a there is such a thing as a good sequel. You know, Terminator 2, I think, is better, oh, than, absolutely. better than the first movie. And Empire Strikes Alien. Back, which I know you don't like Star Wars, but it's different from the first movie, but I, they're definitely at the same level. So Yeah. But that's rare. It is. It's the same with Aliens. When I, when I watched Alien, I was I wasn't too impressed. I was okay, but... Aliens are much more my thing, a bit more action. Yeah, exactly. I like yeah. I like Aliens much better than Alien. Yeah, absolutely. It's just too many cool lines and cool characters and cool weaponry. Yeah. And they're just different kinds of films. I mean, Alien was more of a sort of horror, thriller kind yeah. of thing in it was space. Slow, wasn't it? Yeah, and then Aliens was more of a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> So you're you've kind of slowed down in your collecting. You're you're sort of at the point where you're mature at your 26 years of age, and you're kind of content with what you have. And yeah, that, I think there comes a point where you've got to look at what's in in the real world. I got married last year, and I'm sure we'll be thinking about having children sometime soon. So I can't really put too much time and effort into it at the moment when I've got all these things going on. Yeah. Now, interestingly, what is your new career? <laughs> <laughs> I actually start next week as a police officer, which is going to be kind of scary. So. That's so cool. So yeah. what came first? was Is that something that you thought about growing up before you saw all these crazy American movies like Lethal Weapon and Die Hard, <laughs> or did they have that much of an influence on you? Yeah, I'm going to try and make some kind of connection between <laughs> me and John McClane now, aren't you? <laughs> Go ahead and lie down on your couch. Um, no again I think I've always wanted to be in in the police and be a police officer so just one of those things I've kind of pursued since then and and thankfully after two years of getting through the application process it's finally come to fruition I'm sure that seeing John McClane jump off the top of a skyscraper with a horse pipe around him with an MP5 and he's on with something to do with it who knows (laughs) So, so two years seems to be your uh, sort of testing time, like to get these props and then to become a police officer. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. You're a patient man. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing I'm not. I'm driving my wife crazy sometimes. But. Yeah. So I know Prop Store recently had some uh, hero pistols that were oh, last yeah. used. <laughs> in the movie Equilibrium, which I've never seen, but it's a science fiction movie uh, that were from, was it Die Hard 2? Yeah, the, the original and Die Hard 2. They had one from Die Hard 2 and a, a couple from the original. I know when I talked to Brandon about those, it seemed like they were kind of beyond de-sci-fying and restoring back to yeah, looking like real, real. 
Yeah. Oh, just like an amazing thing, like the thing with these hobbies, these items come up every now and then, just out of the blue, and I'll just say with them when I first saw those for the first time, I was just like, that is incredible. I, I, I was pretty sure that Bruce always still had his original uh, Beretta from Die Hard, and then suddenly here are these guns that have been used in this film all these years ago. And, but yeah, I've never seen Equilibrium myself. So <laughs> I'm sure for the, the fan of both films, if somebody's into Equilibrium, but also likes Die Hard from the younger days, just seeing it coming across a prop like that must be like the most amazing <laughs> double whammy. But yeah, like, as you said, they were they're a bit too uh, changed. For I just I'd be looking at them all the time, thinking, if only that was as it was. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, because for me, I mean, I've got a Beretta from um, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah, one from the first film for me would be like a, a holy grail thing to find. So, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, was... they're still great pieces. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure. Yeah, but and they went into the collection and uh, they're extremely happy with. Yeah. Did me one day if I can get over the fact that they've got that strange stock on the front. But they've kind of been like attacked. Yeah. <laughs> mutilated, unfortunately. It's kind of like they've been put through a matrix machine and <laughs> out the other end looking like that. Actually, maybe that'd be a good science fiction movie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I have anything else to say about those. It just makes me sad. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So, I guess that's it. I don't know if I have any other questions for you. That's cool. Any parting words? <laughs> um, I could say you pick a but <laughs> no, I just prefer to cheese yourself. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, talk with me and record this podcast. I know you're one of the biggest fans of uh, this series, so I thought it'd be fun to have you on and participate. Yeah, no problem. So. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Simon. All right, Jason. Take care. Thank you for listening to our program, Prop Talk. For the latest news about the world of original television and movie memorabilia, please visit us online at www.originalpropblog.com.
Um, I have a guy here. Um, you can't even say Moosebusters. 